Father, bless this time that we have to come before your face to ask you for wisdom and understanding. Lord, you said that in all of our getting, we should get understanding. And you said that wisdom is more valuable than gold. So I pray that you would grant us your wisdom today and your understanding as we approach the pages of your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Two verses of scripture stand out in my heart this morning. The first is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles and am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Nope, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The second scripture that stands out in my heart is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Come to me if you've been working too hard, and I will give you rest. And Paul says, I came to him, and he worked me to death. (laughs) Anybody ever notice that contradiction? You come to church, and when you hear the gospel, that's what we say. If you're tired, Jesus will give you rest. And you say yes to Jesus. And as soon as you say yes to Jesus, we say, now it's time to get to work. (laughs) Now that we done got that rest stuff out of the way. And that's not the only contradiction of the gospel that actually makes it difficult for some of us to come to Jesus or even to stay with Jesus. Because how about this one? Come to Jesus and he'll give you joy. I need that. And then you show up and you sign up and he goes, now here's the following list of things that have brought you joy that it's time for you to give up. How about this one? Blessing. God told Abraham, I'll bless you and make you a blessing and bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Come to Jesus, you get the blessing of Abraham. God's going to bless your finances. And so you come and sign up and say yes to Jesus. And then as soon as you sign up, we say, now here's the following things that God wants you to give your money to. (laughs) Which is it, Jesus? Can you make up your mind? I mean, if... If what you're actually calling me to is work and not rest, don't promise me rest and then give me work. Don't promise me blessing, then take my money. Don't promise me joy and then take everything I love, take all my fun. What we don't realize is that when we come to Jesus, the great problem is that we've misdefined work. We've misdefined rest. We've misdefined blessing. We've misdefined joy. And so he says, yes, there's some stuff I'm going to take from you. What I'm going to take from you is your misdefinitions. And in this particular arena in which we're speaking of this month, Hmm. our misdefinition of rest, we've misdefined rest as the absence of work. And we've misdefined work as the absence of rest. So whenever we think, I need to get some rest, the first thing you think is, I'm taking time off work. 
And is that ever really restful? I'm going to get out of town. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to relax. No, you are not going to relax. Because as soon as you get over there, if you're anything like my wife, (laughs) she gets up earlier in the morning on vacation (laughs) than she does when she's working. Why? Because it just doesn't make make sense to waste all this money going to this beautiful place and not doing everything. Then you come home, man, I'm so tired. (laughs) I need a vacation from my vacation. When rest is not simply the absence of work. If that were were the case, it wouldn't need to be the gift of Jesus. He would simply say, take some time off. Get some R&R. When Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, what he means is rest is not something that you can take for yourself. It's something that only I can give you as a gift. And the fact that we've mystified that is is seen very clearly in the next verse. He says, take my yoke upon you. You want rest? Take my yoke. Now, that's lost on us because we don't have no yokes. We don't know what a yoke is. But in ancient Israel, that metaphor was not lost on anybody. Because if you needed to get some work done, you took a couple of oxen and you put a yoke around their necks. And the moment you put a yoke around the neck of two oxen, it means that they're about to work and they're about to work hard. Jesus says, you want rest? Take my yoke. Mm -hmm. Get in the yoke with me. (laughs) She said, no. (laughs) I'm tired already. He said, but he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, meaning there's more rest in the yoke of Jesus Mm -hmm. than in the freedom of the world. Wow. Remember that story about uh, the Gerasene demoniac? Jesus comes into the region of the Gerasenes and there's this man who was demon possessed. And it said that he could not be restrained. They would put chains on him. He'd break the chains. Wouldn't it be awesome to be so powerful that nothing could restrain you? They put chains on you. You break those chains. They try to put you in, in, they try to restrict you. You break free from every restriction. The man was utterly free. And Jesus approaches the man and speaks to the source of his freedom and says, what's your name? And he says, Legion, for we are many. Do you know that there's a form of freedom that's actually demonic? There's a form of freedom that Satan will offer you. Isn't that crazy? That sometimes the the greatest source of free, the greatest sign of freedom is that you can be restrained. Wow. Yeah. That somebody can tell you to stop and you'll stop. And that's freedom. Wow. Yeah. Jesus set him free from his toxic form of freedom. Jesus set him free from the demonic source of his supposed freedom because he looked free on the outside, but he was possessed by legions of demons on the inside. He looked free on the outside, and everybody marveled at the freedom he had on the outside, but nobody knew how locked up and tied up he was on the inside. But the opposite was true of Paul. Nobody Nobody here wants Paul's life. Shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, 
imprisoned, stoned, sleeping on the side of the road with one eye open, afraid of the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody wants to kill you. Nobody wants that life. Spent a night and a day out in the deep, floating on a piece of broken ship. Nobody wants that life. Constantly fasting. Never gets a, you would never see Salt Paul taking a sabbatical. Time off. I don't want that life. Mm-mm. I told you, we're going on vacation today. After this, the, this stuff is over here, we are ghosts. Don't be calling us with no emergencies. There's plenty of people in this church. We're going to leave on our voicemail, take it up with Jesus. <laughs> if you need ministry, we know a great minister. He's a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. <laughs> His name is Jesus. (laughs) He will minister to you. On the outside, Paul's life was much to be desired of. Left much to be desired. What I mean is, you didn't desire it, in case that's not clear. But on the inside, Paul says, though my outward man is wasting away. Yeah, yeah. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Paul says, you look at me on the outside like I don't want to be him. But if you saw me on the inside, you say, man, I wish I could be him. So Paul says, let me define work for you. First of all, he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I shouldn't be where I am. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I don't deserve it. Because I persecuted the church. I killed Christians. I tried to stamp out the name of Jesus. I tried to end this thing that you call the church. So I don't deserve to even be in it. But to be an apostle? I don't deserve it. The first thing that frames Paul's theology of work is thanksgiving. Meaning, I don't deserve to be a servant of God. It's a privilege that I get to serve God. You see, when you're serving the Lord and it feels like a privilege and you're aware of what a privilege it is, uh, it's really hard to, when we lose the sense of the privilege of it, that's when it begins to be heavy. Yeah. That's the first part of it. Yeah. First part. Not the only part. First part. Privilege. Yeah. privilege. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm thankful for the opportunity, and I realize that the opportunity that I have to serve God is a fruit of his grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace not only saved me, because we like to talk about the grace of God that saves us, the grace of God that brings salvation to us, the grace by which he cancels all of our sins, the grace by which he nails our sins to the cross, upon his son Jesus and saves us and offers us eternal life. But Paul says that same grace that saved me actually made me a servant, gave me the opportunity to serve God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. His grace had a huge effect on my life. And what was that effect? I worked. And I worked harder than all of them. The sign of grace was my work. 
Remember that uh, scene where Jesus is kicking it in the home of a prominent Pharisee? All of the religious bigwigs were there. You ever wonder why Jesus even went to those events? Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? You don't even like these people. And Jesus would say, the reason I'm here is they think I'm here to connect with them. I'm here because of this woman that's about to show up and do something that's going to make them all sick to their stomach. I'm here for that woman, not for them. And I want what that woman's about to do to be seen by them. Because I'm getting ready to show them how religious they are. Just, just watch. You'll, you'll get it in a second. And sure enough, a few minutes later, this woman comes in that everybody knew was a, a woman of the night. But she comes in with this expensive bottle of perfume and she's weeping as she comes in and she falls at the feet of Jesus and she breaks open the perfume and pours it over his feet and then washes his feet with her hair and her tears and dries his feet with her hair and she's weeping. And Jesus is like, this is why I'm here. I'm here for this woman right here. And all the religious, oh my God. Oh, oh, Lord, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. And my thought is, how do you know what kind of woman she is? You probably visited her not too long ago. That, you recognize her. And Jesus, unashamedly, is letting this woman wash his feet. Nobody will say a word because Jesus is so highly respected, but everybody's judging him in their minds. And finally, Jesus turns to the master of the house. His name is Simon. And Jesus says, I got a question for you, Simon. Yeah. He said, there was a man, a master who had two servants. One of them owed him $100. The other one owed him $10,000. The master forgave both servants. Which one is going to love the master more? And he said, probably the one who he forgave more. He goes, you said rightly. He who has been forgiven of much is going to love much. Wow. He said, now listen, I came to your house. You gave me no water with which to wash my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. You greeted me with no kiss. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. Therefore, I say, and he looks into the eyes of the woman, that this woman, though her sins were many, are forgiven. What was the sign that she loved much? She served much. Mm, wow. And what was the sign that she was forgiven of much? That she loved much. Mm. And the sign that she loved much was that she served much. Wow. But her service was prompted by love, not obligation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, What's that passage there in 1 uh, first, first Thessalonians? I always miss this one. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, where Paul says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, wow. and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Labor prompted by love. Yeah. That's good, yeah. Work inspired by faith. Wow. Labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. Wow. Your work comes from your faith, your labor comes from your love, and your endurance comes from your hope. Wow. Yeah. Paul says, I labored, I worked, more than all of them, yeah. 
but it was the grace of God that prompted that work. His grace to me was not without effect, meaning when I labored, I didn't do it out of obligation. I didn't do it because I wanted to be a good Christian. I didn't do it because I was afraid they were going to look at me and say, well, he's not doing anything. I didn't do it for any of those reasons. I didn't do it because the church needed more workers. I didn't do it because the children's church needed more service. I did it because there was so much grace. There was this overflow of grace, and I needed some way to express it. I needed something to do with, some, something to use it for, something to do with it. Yeah. I labored more than all of them. And then he says, yet not I, yeah. but the grace of God that was with me. This is the lesson Paul teaches us. Yeah. There, is work, there is rest in work that is prompted by the grace of God. Wow. There is rest in work that is prompted by the grace of God. And this is what this means. When there is an overflow of grace in your life that prompts you to work, if you don't work, you'll be restless as all get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when the grace of God lifts and you keep working, you'll be burnt out as all get out. What this means is the question is, how much should I be doing? What, how, what's the right balance? How much should I do? The answer to that question is simple. Do what you have been graced to do, and only that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. When the grace lifts, you're done. Yeah. And you wait for the grace to come. Yeah. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. As long as it is a work of grace, as long as the grace of God is in it, you see, I've been, my wife and I have been serving this church for 17 and a half years. But not in the same way. You hear me? Yeah. Stuff we used to do 10 years ago, we don't do no more. Yeah. Mm -mm, there's no grace for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we went on our sabbatical in 2019. We were gone for three months. And I thought we we're going to come back and there's going to be this fresh infusion of energy and I'm going to be able to do all the stuff because, I mean, we crawled towards our sabbatical. I mean, by, the, by 2019, the last three months leading up to that sabbatical, I was like this. <laughs> I was like, I can make it another week. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, when we went on our sabbatical, the first six weeks, I laid on the floor and cried every day. I just turned on worship music. First, I went to the gym, and I worked out for about an hour and a half. Then I came back to the room, turned on worship music, the same song, actually, one song. The Upper Room uh, Hallelujah video on YouTube. The so it's 30 minutes of Hallelujah. I put it on repeat for three hours every morning, and I just laid on the floor, called myself praying. I wasn't praying. This was, ah! I'm just crying for six weeks. And then all of a sudden, all of the mourning and all of the disappointment and all of that, all of that stuff had been expressed. And the new vision started to come and new strength started to come. And the next six weeks, God was building me up. And I thought, yes, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be able to do all the stuff that I used to do. No. Yeah. There was some stuff the grace of God had lifted from. Yeah. And I realized I'll never be able to do that again. Wow. And it was about a six-month process of adjusting my role yeah. and even adjusting Sonny's role. Yeah. So we didn't have to do that stuff no more. Why? There's no more grace for it. Yeah. 15 years was enough. Yeah. That's the hardest part is when the grace of God lifts off yeah. something in your life. Yeah. What do you do now? Yeah. Well, you simply wait for the next move of grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The grace of God never lifts forever. You find in certain seasons of your life that you have more grace than you could imagine, and you can do 20 things, you can do 50 things. And then suddenly the grace will lift strategically here, lift strategically there, and lift strategically. And when the grace lifts, you got to lift. But when the grace lifts, yeah. now I begin to pray. Yeah, that's God, good. show me. Where's yes. the grace moving to? Yes, yes. Where's your grace? What, what, what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? So good. What you got? And that last six weeks, was I was antsy. <laughs> I got I got to do something now. Yeah. I haven't preached in, three month, in a month and a half. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> what you got? Where's the grace? And you know what the Lord said for that next six weeks? Be still. I'm going to give you the grace to be still. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I was recalling this morning part of my whole call narrative. And the call narrative upon my life stretches back to when I was 11, well, nine years old, really, when Sam Huddleston laid hands on me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was like a major moment. 11, when I was with my grandmother at the revival, and God spoke to me and called me to the ministry. He told me I was going to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. But when I was 16, I was with my grandmother at a revival in Los Angeles. And it was a small meeting. But the Holy Spirit fell on me, and the Holy Spirit fell on many of the young people there in the room. And the Lord spoke directly to me. And he said this, turn to me with all of your heart, for I have need of you. And I could hear the Spirit of God screaming in my ears, I have need of you. I have need of you. I was like, the King of kings and Lords of, Lord of lords needs me? He's got need of me? He's, and my heart was exploding. I was like, yes, God, you've got need of me? What do you need me for? And then the Lord spoke to me, and it was like he took my hands, and he said, give me these hands. These hands will work, but it will not be you working, but it will be me working through you. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant until much later when I realized that what God was saying is that the labor to which he called me was a labor of grace. It's simply about discerning what the Father is doing and doing it with him. It means that he is able to rejuvenate me in the midst of the most trying and difficult seasons of my life. And it means that in the midst of the most difficult and trying seasons of my life, and even in the midst of the busiest and most overwhelming moments, he's able to give me rest. Yeah. There was a competition in which artists, painters, were given the task of painting a picture of peace. And when the competition was over and all of the pieces were unveiled, and it was time to to judge, There were so many farm scenes at sunset. (laughs) A beautiful cottage in a serene pond with one duck. (laughs) But there was one picture that stood out amongst all the rest. It was a picture of a storm in the dark of night in the middle of the sea foreboding waves, thunder and lightning and thick, dark clouds. 
It looked like the opposite of peace. It was chaos. But right in the center, in the crest of one of the waves, there was a swan floating completely at peace. That's what the peace of God looks like. It's got nothing to do with what's outside of you. It's on the inside of you. That's what the rest that God comes to give looks like. It's got nutsy. When we think of rest, I'm tired. The first thing I think of is what I need to take off of my plate. But that's not the, listen, the rest that God comes to give you has nothing to do with what's on your plate. It has to do with what's on the tablet of your heart. It has to do with what's on the inside of you, not the outside of you. And there have been so many seasons in my life, and my wife can attest in our life together, in which we thought we couldn't take any more, and God says, I'm going to give you five more things. <laughs> now watch me give you rest in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there were seasons where we thought, I think we can take one more thing, and God says, nope, there's no grace for that one. Because yeah. at the end of the day, only God knows what I can handle. And you know what I can handle? I can handle precisely what he has graced yeah, me to handle. Yeah, yeah. I can't do one more thing than he has given me grace to do. And if I try to do one less thing than he's given me grace to do, I find that that space is filled with restlessness and angst until I discover this is where God has called me. This is what he's given me. This is what he's asked me to do. And when I stand in that place, I find rest for my soul. Band, come on up. I'm going to end with this metaphor. And then I'm going to hand it over to my wife. When I was uh, in the first or second grade, I think I was in the first grade, one of my good friends, Nathan Parker, he and I were walking and, uh, after school, and there was a construction area on campus, and we walked into that construction area, and as soon as we walked in, he picked up a belt, yeah. a carpenter's belt, and put it around his waist. And I said, oh, can I have one of those too? The problem was his father was the carpenter. And he looked at me and he put a hard hat on his son. And he said, Benjamin, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave this area. It's too dangerous for you to be here. Nathan, come with me, son. And his son walked over and he's wearing his carpenter's belt and he's wearing his carpenter's hat. He says, hammer. And Nathan takes a hammer off of the belt and puts it in his dad's hand. And I thought, this is the luckiest kid in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know what the crazy thing is? Looking back, there's no difference between me and him. Yeah. The only difference was who our daddy was. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan didn't know anything about carpentry, but his daddy did. Yeah. And Nathan got to work. <laughs> he actually wasn't doing no work. <laughs> his daddy was doing all the work. Yeah. His daddy was simply saying, son, I want you near me while I do the work. And at the end of the day, Nathan never went home worn out and tired because he built a wall. No, daddy built the wall. All I did was when he said hammer, I handed him the hammer, which he could have picked up himself. But he gave me the opportunity to hold the hammer with him and for him simply because he wanted me near him. You know, at the end of the day, the father doesn't need you and he doesn't need me but he lets me put on a carpenter's belt. He lets me come and stand in the construction area with him. He lets me hand him the hammer and the nail. At the end of the day, he is building his church, not me. 
He is building his house. But when he allows me to work with him, all he's saying is, son, daughter, I just want you to be near me. That's all. Father, as my wife comes forward to tell us what to do now, I pray that you you would speak to every heart and mind in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand in the presence of God and let me pray for you as, and let's sing, let's worship. Yeah, after. Holy Spirit, I ask for discernment for every person in this sanctuary, God. To discern the grace that you have placed upon each one. Father, will you break off shame and guilt from every heart today and give each one of us discernment to discern the grace of God that is upon us. So our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, lead us, teach us, show us in Jesus' name. I want to share one more thing with you. We'll end very soon. You know me. I'm kind of extreme. When Benjamin wants to walk two miles, I say, I think we could do seven. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm kind of extreme. I want to die on the mission field. That's my dream. I'm kind of extreme. But even me, during pandemic, can can I tell you towards the end, I mean, it's still going on, but towards the end of before they lift it, right? The, the, the power of isolation makes you think that you have no grace. I just need to share this so that you differentiate between what happened to you in isolation versus really receiving the discernment of God for the grace. About a little after a year of pandemic, I start to feel like, eh, maybe the grace of God lifted for missions for me. I don't know if I want to go, you know, travel all those hours and on a boat with so many bugs. I hate bugs, you know. Hot, humidity, the spiritual battle that I have to go to pray in the, you know what I mean, on the mountaintop and, you know, bugs. To see one soul get saved. I mean, it's exciting to see people get healed. But, you know, I think I've seen enough in my lifetime. Maybe the grace of God lifted. Maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Inside. Oh, but when the church opens up, you know, you know, we want to see the move of God. We want to see people get healed and saved. And like, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, I should just be thankful, you know. Like, we're alive. We're saved. You know, maybe I could just relax until I die. You know. I don't know. Even me, in isolation, I lost or I wasn't connected to. Maybe I didn't lose it. I didn't feel connected to faith. I didn't feel connected to faith for revival, missions, working for Jesus. I just want to receive and relax and rest, I thought. But as we started to open up, 
we come to Wednesday night prayer and God speaks, if you lose faith, you lose everything. Ooh, mm, that hurt, right? When our Sunday service as people gathered, even if it was small numbers, as we gathered and worshiped, my faith started to get stirred up. And I started to feel the presence of God that I could not feel on my own because it's different. The manifest presence of God is different when you're in the closet on your own doing the QT and when you are with other brothers and sisters. And as I, as I sense the, the manifest presence of God in the gathered worship, faith got stirred up. I love His presence. And once I sense that presence, I was ready. Once I felt connected to that faith, I was ready. God, when am I going to get to go to Indonesia? God, when do I get to go back? I was ready and I was able to discern the grace of God, not the effects of the isolation, you see. So my encouragement to you, each one of you, is even if you feel like, eh, come to church. Sunday morning, eh, come to church. Wednesday night prayer, uh, I don't know. Do I really? Come. Come and you will receive the grace. Come and you will be connected to the grace of God that is for you in this season. Amen.